Welcome, everyone, Hello. to another episode of Space Flicks. Space Flicks. This is the podcast where we review a movie, and then uh, we talk a little bit about it, and we decide at the end if it's worth uh, beaming out into outer space mm-hmm. using precious bandwidth to share with a lonely astronaut who mm-hmm. relies on us mm-hmm. for all of their uh, cinematic experiences out there on a spaceship. Yeah. Where they can only watch a handful of movies a year. Look, you're just cataloging moon rocks and stuff, and you mm-hmm. just need a way to unwind. Every at the now end and of the then, day. you want to sit down and just watch a film, and right. you only can can receive so many mm-hmm. in a in a year. Yes. So and we so at the formal the organization of, of Space Flicks, it is our solemn responsibility to beam N- these videos. NASA's response to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Space Flicks. Um, this week we're going to be talking about. A movie that came out, when did this come out? Pretty early last year. Probably about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. probably a year ago. Maybe even more. It's uh, Sorry to Bother You. Uh, yep. Written and directed by Boots Riley. Is Boots that, Riley. That, that is a rapper, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, a musician. I'm completely unfamiliar with Boots. This is my, this is my, uh, this is like the entirety of Boots Riley's work that I'm familiar with. The, yeah, so um, just a little bit that I do know is that Boots Riley was in a successful band. Um, oh, what band? Oh, now we're asking for more information than we'll, I have. We'll, we'll fill that information out later. Yep. And, we'll edit it in. But basically, su- successful musician, sort of countercultural band, mm-hmm. um, and then has been sort of wanting to make a movie for a long time, and has had the script for a long time, and then okay. finally got you know sort of the resources to make it. You've already shared more historical context than I had going into this movie or even to this moment. <laughs> um, so you have the IMDb up. Yes. Do you have the synopsis in front of you? Do you want to share their synopsis or you could just provide a quick quick in Adam synopsis? In an alternate present day version of Oakland, telemarketer Cassius Green discovers a magical key to professional success propelling him into a universe of greed. All right. That's pretty good. Yep. Um so, yeah, let's talk expectations. I'll go first. Uh, like I said, I didn't know who Boots Riley was. Uh, I saw the trailer for this movie, and it just looked really fun and kind of wacky. Um, the trailer, I think the main thing that it gives away is that uh, that basically it's this it's this black guy in Oakland who goes to work as a telemarketer. Mm-hmm. It, it's pretty clear from the beginning of the trailer. He's kind of down on his luck. Um, yeah, he's like living in his uncle's garage, struggling to make ends meet. Um, and he gets this job as a telemarketer and, uh, a coworker gives him this tip, which is that, um, he'll have a lot more success if he makes his voice like a white person's yeah. voice. Use your white voice. Yeah. And then I believe it's David Cross who provides the white voice yes. for this character. Yes. Um, so, uh, what's, what's the actor's name? Look. Lakeith, Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith Stanfield, yeah. Um, who is, I knew him coming into this from Get Out. Yes. He plays this sort of creepy black, uh, the, the creepy other black guy at the party who turns out to not be acting like a black person at all. Right. Um, from the main character's perspective, the main character of Get Out. Anyway, that's what I knew him from. He's the main character in this, but David Cross provides his white person voice. Yes. Um, when he works as a telemarketer. And sure enough, I think the trailer gives it away that, this proves to be very uh, successful tactic for yes. him. Um, so anyway, I don't feel like I spoiled anything because, like I said, that's all in the trailer. Going in, I just thought that's what the whole movie was going to be about. 
Yes. Um, just his experiences kind of becoming successful by pretending to be white over the phone. Right. Um, which is really interesting that Black Klansman came out the same year and has a very similar uh, concept at its yes. core. But uh, that concept being a black person pretending to be white over Co- the phone. Code switching into um, a white voice, yeah. Um, and it looked like it was going to be a lot of fun, like I said. And I thought it would be quite funny and a little bit wacky. I mean, that's pretty much all I all I expected going in. What about you? Yeah, I expected a comedy. Like yeah. a sort of dark um, satire of um, sort of the expectations that we place on, you know, African-Americans and the way that we expect people of a certain culture to behave mm-hmm. and how if they um, sort of cynically hack those expectations, they can ascend to all levels of, um, you know, prominence and and um, how that would be sort of a, a sad reality of how like a, a, a an African-American person has to sort of like basically wear a mask in order to be successful in this culture. That's sort of what I, ex- and, and yeah. sort of the inherent conflict therein, right? That you're sort of having to like sell some piece of yourself, right? To, mm-hmm. to like succeed in this world. That's sort of right. what I expected it to be a sort of a satire of that concept. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally, um, I thought that too. I kind of forgot when I was recounting my expectations that the trailer does have, I think just quotes and stuff from critics in it that, that talk about how the movie, you know, is like uh, razor sharp or, or something like that. You know, right. there were a bunch of quotes from critics that made me think, oh, okay, this is going to be a movie with something to say. Like, it mm-hmm. looks really fun and wacky, like I said, but it's going to be really smart or really insightful. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to have, it's probably going to, you know, make the audience confront some of their biases, mm-hmm. uh, maybe make the audience uncomfortable in some ways, sure. um, which I think it totally does looking back. But, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, so those were my expectations. I don't. I think we normally dive right into themes, but um, but I mean, like, just at a, at a high level without digging into the details. How how would you say the movie compared to your expectations? It was a uh, crazy. Uh, it was crazier than yes. I thought it would be. Uh, yeah, right? I I think I remember seeing this with a a friend, not a super close friend. Um, but we came out of the theater and just, I feel like the word crazy came out of both our mouths like five to 10 times yeah. over the course of the following conversation. Just like, that was so crazy. Yeah, just a bonkers movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And I think I even got home and like told Catherine, like she was like, how was the movie? And I was like, it was totally crazy. <laughs> right. um, which, you know, probably says more about my limited vocabulary than um, the movie. But it just, it's so much more, I would say than what you think. There's just more of everything, right? Yeah. I feel like we're sort of conditioned to, um, you know, let's, for example, hold up a movie like The Prestige, right? Which The Prestige is sort of this relentless sort of exploration of like a very small, specific set of themes and ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're just going to keep going at them until we really explored them thoroughly, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, there are 50 ideas yep. in here yep. and we're just going to kind of do a, a bit of all of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Why not? Right. <laughs> um, and so, and those ideas I think include the ones that are in the trailer, like sort of the, um, you know, race, race relation, um, you know, satire that we sort of talked about, but there's like 
just also a ton of other stuff yeah. that is not really um, communicated in the trailer. Yeah, I would also compare it or contrast it rather with um, another movie we talked about recently, Upgrade. I think uh-huh. in our discussion of Upgrade, I made the point that that movie really has like one thing to say. Yeah. And and what makes the movie so great for you and me, I think, um, was just its execution. Like yeah. the execution was so precise and so um, skillful. And this movie's, I would say, totally skillful, but in a, in a very different way. Mm-hmm. But I would say the execution of this movie is kind of chaotic. And, and, right. and I would even say messy, but like in the best p- way possible. Yeah, like a movie like Upgrade or a movie like The Prestige is like, there's sort of a heavy amount of discipline going into that yeah, movie. Yeah, totally. Where it's like... This one's like an artist gone wild. Right. Those movies are sort of like, it's like they very purposefully jettisoned anything that didn't support the primary theme. Right. Yeah. Um, and this movie was like, nope. Like we're just gonna. <laughs> it's packed. It's we're jam-packed. gonna. If I have an idea, I'm gonna put it in here. Mm-hmm. Right. Give me a reason why not to. Right. Yeah. And because, and to your point, part of the appeal of the film, I think, is just how it's such a sprawling set of ideas that sort of cover uh, things that are both like um, highly profound and political in nature, right? Mm-hmm. To really like banal and um, sort of silly, yeah. right? Um, it, well, yeah, it's just it's just all over the place. I think of it, this is kind of abstract, but I think that a movie like Prestige, to go back to that example and, and how disciplined it is, I feel like it's it showcases an, an artist or a storyteller like saying no to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, exercising restraint. Um, right. I mean, I wouldn't. It's maybe that's not the best movie to to use. I would say a, maybe a better movie to use as an example of restraint would be First Reformed. <laughs> sure. Uh, a movie that the filmmaker definitely says no to right. many many, uh, let's say potential like impulses right well because there's sort of the thematic elements mm -hmm. to it and there's also sort of the stylistic elements right and Mm -hmm. so first reformed is like the most extreme version of both of those things Mm -hmm. right it's like very thematically you know tight right Yeah. yeah um and of course stylistically you know it's like the choices we have are extremely limited on purpose right on purpose yeah whereas this movie i think it it feels to me like a creative person saying yes to like every idea mm-hmm. that comes to them and sort of that sort of that like uh I'm I've never really done improv but that thing I've heard about in improv where you always say yes and yes. right it's almost like if there were an improv group in his brain like inside out right. style right it's like everything they said was just a yes and yes and yes and and I think of it as if you have restraint on one end of the spectrum on this one you have like abundance mm-hmm. of just like uh it feels it feels like a fountain, you know, like overflowing right. with just ideas and creativity. And to me, anyway, to me, I mean, I guess we're sort of getting beyond just like initial reactions. But right. it sounds like we both had a similar sort of we expected one thing, which it sounds like we both had high hopes, you know, mm-hmm. that it was going to be fun, wacky, have something to say. But we both came out. I mean, I would say almost like blown away for me personally by how much more there was to the movie than what I expected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. So, I mean, I think we've just kind of established that there were possibly way too many themes to even list. Right. But that said, could you, uh, if I if you had to name the top themes of the movie, what sort of things come to mind? Uh, 
selling it, there's sort of a Faustian bargain, right? It's like mm-hmm. selling your soul, selling your soul for right. success. Yeah. Right. To me, that's the, that's the through line yeah. that is consistent throughout the film. Yeah. And sort of the, the, the natural, conc- like if you allow greed to mm-hmm. be, in some ways it feels like, you know, if you were to sort of put this right next to, um, like uh, the the famous speech in Wall Street of greed is good, sure, right? Which I know the movie Wall Street is not about how greed is good, right? But that character, the Gordon Gecko character, and that movie, it, it definitely feels like the 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 Army Hammer character in this movie could have been like his son or something, you know? <laughs> um, right? I mean, because he's very much like greed is good, you know, right? Um, uh, so good, you know, almost like that this movie. Uh, addresses that um, there there really are you know a, like I would say a, a class of people maybe class is the wrong word there's there's a a school of thought in America probably in the whole world that really is almost like of the religious conviction that greed is a good thing you know there are people mm-hmm. who are committed to that idea right and of course they could probably explain themselves in terms of you know, the sort of standard capitalist, um, uh, you know, I want to say dogma, maybe that's a little too judgmental, but like the the, the capitalist reasoning of like greed fuels a lot of development and, and things that are ultimately good for humanity. But, but they, but that mindset of greed is good can lead you to some very dark places, which I think this movie, (laughs) which this movie makes very vivid. Yeah. If you accept greed fundamentally as good mm-hmm. and assume that the byproducts of greed will lead to good places that's a pretty bad assumption right yeah. and it's like no what they lead to is you know the outcomes of the gre- greedy people like getting more yeah right and the outcomes are kind of incidental mm-hmm. right and some of them might be good for humanity and some of them as that demonstrated in this movie definitely will not be right Right. I would say another one that's complementary to that one has to do with um, sort of if you if you if you think of the world as as comprising one group of people who are fueled by greed and Mm -hmm. will allow greed to, you know, sort of drive their ascension to some to some level in society. Mm -hmm. There's another group of people that they can take advantage of the people who value convenience and safety and comfort, right. Right. Over, uh, I don't know what, maybe like self-actualization. Right. Right. The, this movie makes a big deal of how people can in to some degree be responsible for their own. I mean, quite literally enslavement. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Their own enslavement. I mean, this movie makes literal many things that other movies would be figurative about. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I think that's another big theme, right? This, there's, so there's like the dichotomy of like, there are greedy people, and then there are people who sort of walk right into their traps, right? Right. Who sort of are lemmings and just kind of like allow themselves to be thrown onto the on, into the fire that's fueling this machine right that makes the greedy people yeah more and more prosperous yeah right? yeah all you got to um, do yeah i mean sort of figuratively speaking. and 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 also so there's these so it's very like 
based on the, the idea of classes in that way. Right. And then the main character, I think uh, a, a sort of theme that bridges those two is how you can go from one group to the other, how enticing it can be, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. And it's, and it's really, I mean, the main character, I think, is, is super relatable because, um, like, anybody watching, even though the movie is so hyperbolic in so many ways, yeah, the main arc of the main character feels very real and relatable. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. like, a lot of people have at least some idea or some experience of what it is to sort of be a have-not Mm-hmm. And see and be presented an opportunity to become, you know, a, a have. have. Yeah, and uh, and it can in that the transition can feel completely like you're, like you said at the beginning, selling your soul to the devil, losing touch with who you were, but you do it anyway because of how enticing I, that. Siren yeah, song and I is. think in the beginning it doesn't feel like that. You know what I mean? I feel right. like. In the beginning, it feels like you, you feel know, like I haven't lost touch with my roots. <laughs> yeah, it feels like you're just succeeding, right? It feels like uh, you managed to grab hold of a life preserver or something, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's only when you're when like um, the lifestyle starts to feel pretty familiar and pretty good that like the choices get harder and harder, mm-hmm. right? Um, which I think is kind of just. Because you're not willing to, nobody is willing to necessarily sell out their core beliefs like immediately overnight, right? Right. It's They're willing gradual. to like you know erode some of them a little bit, right? Yeah. Which is I think extremely normal. So yeah, I think um, that theme of selling your soul and the, basically the migration from becoming a have-not to a have and sort of uh, the appeal of that, mm-hmm. right, is extremely. Uh, is definitely one of the prominent themes, and because basically the alternative is to your point to remain a have not, yeah, and eventually sort of just trade in whatever you've got left, right, for something resembling ease. Yeah, and I think I think it it's sort of getting at you know it reminds me we were both raised you know in Sunday school and and going to church and stuff so yeah. Um, there's just a, a Bible, a biblical passage that I'm thinking of where Jesus says, like, it's easier to, what is it? It's easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle. Yes, than for a rich man to get into heaven. Yeah, yeah and and I feel like this movie's kind of about that in, in that, you know, we all like to believe that I if I were to become super filthy rich, uh, I could still be a good person. Yeah. And in this movie, the main character is very much attached to that belief yep. in, in the early stages of his transition. But the movie gives him really no option to continue to be a good person and become filthy rich. No. It's, it's a, there's a direct correlation <laughs> yeah. in the story of you can get richer by being a worse person, right? Right. And that's like how you will do it. Right. So, um, there, yeah, it doesn't present another way to become there, a wealthy person. In the world of this movie, there's not a clear option. Right. There's not a clear path to becoming a good, wealthy person. 
It's yeah. like, yeah, you can move to, you know, from the have nots to the haves. It just means you have to be willing to completely uh, oppress the have nots, basically. Right. You know, that's how you do it. Yep. And I, I do wonder us talking through all this, especially the main character's sort of um, journey, you know, from from one group to the other. I wonder how autobiographical, maybe not like in the details, but in the sort of overarching uh, message this movie is. Because, uh, I mean, like I said, I'm not familiar with Boots Riley. I just wonder if when an art, when an artist makes a statement like this, I wonder how much they're talking directly from their own experience, you know? Um, I think Boots Riley is like um, a socialist. Or, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, I think in some ways it's, it represents his political views on capitalism. Oh, I'm, I have no doubt. Right. But also, I, I mean, I'm, I guess what I'm also wondering is how wealthy is Boots Riley? How successful uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't how, know. How, how much darkness does he feel in his soul as a result <laughs> of his success, right? I mean, I think that's a real thing that a lot of artists who reach some level of success struggle with where they find that the people they hang out with are different. The parties they go to yeah, are different, yeah, you know? Yeah. They start becoming buddies with, like, these big shot producers. And, right. and at some point they look at their life and they're like, what have I become, you know? Right. Um, but it's like, but that's it's sort of, it goes hand in hand with, with commercial success often. Right. Which is sometimes something an artist hasn't even sought out yeah. explicitly, but it, it finds them. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, just, it, it, in some ways like this sort of shadow, um, the shadowy force of like your socioeconomic bracket, right. Dictating like where you live and who you see and like the circles of people that you interact with. Right. Mm -hmm. And ultimately kind of like the values you have. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I don't think anybody who moves up the socioeconomic ladder believes that like, Oh yes, this is going to basically dictate so many things about me. Right. right. I mean, a lot of the things that go into who I am. Or but who I'm perceived to be. Anyway. You start to, I mean, but just very, na- like, you, you think to yourself, let's say you have kids, right? You're like, well, I obviously have to move to, like, the best school district, mm-hmm. and I have the means to do so, which means I'm now going to interact with the other people who moved to the best yep. school district. And, and my children will interact with right. their children. And then the values that their children have, I'm going to naturally, my child will absorb those values, and I will mm-hmm. need to live a lifestyle to support those values right <laughs> they're gonna want to ride horses it's right <laughs> <laughs> um and i don't think anybody thinks about the sort of cascading set of effects of like the yeah. you know one of those sort of foundational choices that you make which you think is just about like i just want my kid to go to the best school possible right but mm-hmm. it's like there's a ton of other ancillary things that are going to sort of latch on to you as a result of that right right, right. um and so, yeah, this movie makes very explicit, like, all those little micro yeah, totally. changes in your yep. life from the bed sheets that you buy to the apartment that you live in, right? There's, like, a direct, um, you know, there's a direct line between sort of the socioeconomic bracket that you've entered into and all the different sort of influences and pressures that are on you to adopt different sort of norms, right? Mm-hmm. All the way down to, like, compromising your basic, like, ethics. Yep. Right? Yep. I think along that, I think sort of related to that one more, um, a lot of these themes are sort of similar. They're not 
completely different, but I almost think of, I'm almost, almost visualizing them as like branching off of kind of a, a common root. Yeah. Um, which is authenticity. You know, you mentioned the code switching, obviously he's, I mean, yeah. just on its face, he's a, a, a black person pretending to be a white person over the phone or sort mm-hmm. of at least adopting a white person's adopting voice, the, right? Yeah, the tenor and, of a white person. And in that sense, he is being inauthentic. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, I think a lot of this movie has to do with, um, it, it relates to greed and, and moving from have-nots to haves, but it's also about how much of, how much are you willing to sort of, uh, like sell out yourself, you know, how, or how, or, or, or betray your true self. Sure. You know, for, for the purpose of X, where X could be, um, acquiring wealth. Right. But there are some other characters in this movie who also, uh, have, have a complicated relationship with authenticity. Their own like, right? personal identity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, to what degree they're willing to compromise it for some other purpose. So right. we, so I think that's a theme as well. Another major theme. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think all, but ultimately I, they all sort of go back to that original <coughs> route as you called it, where it's like, I'm going to trade. Yeah. I'm going to trade in, make a something, bargain, something important about myself yep. for some sort of gain yep. that ultimately I think will ring very hollow. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. We can, I think we can come back to that in a little bit. Uh, okay. Our next segment, I think, is Rich Man, Poor Man. Is that right? Just feels fitting for this movie. It, Let's just say it is. <laughs> uh, no, it's more like I don't know what movie I would even compare it to. Right. Me neither. I feel like I often come up. I, I, th- this is a segment we should probably prepare for. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, nothing comes to mind. I mean, this movie is so unique. Right. I mean, um, I suppose in some ways, like the comparison to Black Klansman, it, not that they're at all the same movie, right? But there is something very fa- fundamental about like exploring the idea of like code switching, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in the case of Black Klansman, it's for the express purpose of like infiltrating um, your enemy, mm-hmm. right? And in that movie, it's like very clear... Um, that the clan is sort of the the antagonist of this film, right? In this movie, uh, it's about actually like ingratiating yourself with uh, a group that you want to join and you don't view as your enemy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And in some ways, the movie knows they're your enemy, but you don't, mm-hmm. right? Like right. it's that kind of. Uh, so that's an interesting. I don't know that that's a rich man poor man anything necessarily, but it's sort of a. I think it's a useful comparison point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think. Rich man, poor man, our idea behind this segment is sort of what other movie tackles the same idea. And I feel like initially it was about, you know, the rich man, the, the, this movie would be the rich man's version of X would imply this movie's better than X or the poor mm-hmm. man's version of X would imply this movie's worse than X. Yeah. But, um, but I think uh, this movie, it, it's, it's sort of, the, another movie, other movies that tackle the same idea would be movies where maybe it's a rags to riches story or some sort of story where the main mm-hmm. character becomes very successful but loses a little bit of themselves in the process. And right. no, no concrete movies come to mind. Um, Feels like there should be many. Is right. Wall Street like that? 
Sure. Yeah. I don't even remember the main yeah, the character Charlie of Wall Sheen Street character. is Charlie Sheen, right? Yeah. Um. So so yeah, maybe something like Wall Street. But I would say it's hard to say like rich man poor man when comparing this movie to that movie because I don't real I couldn't really say what the difference in quality is, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is implied by rich man poor man. But it's almost like if that movie is the, uh, let's say like academics version of the movie this movie is like the artist's version yeah or that those are probably very crude terms to be using but that movie is the more precise polished version right right this one is the it's it's the same idea Mm -hmm. but like we talked about before just with you know splashes of color and just and just every idea thrown at the canvas Right. right um and so that that to me is kind of what I would compare it to is there's other there's a, there are other movies that tackle these ideas. Like an example that occurs to me is uh, the social network. Yeah. Right? Like social network. Very precise. Right. I yeah. Mean, it's David Fincher. So, of course. Yeah. And it in some ways like it is the um, it's the gentrified version of this story. Right. Mm-hmm. Where it's like the you know, the downside from Zuckerberg's point of view of having like betrayed his friend and treated, you know, his uh, love interest at the beginning of the movie very terribly. Right. It's loneliness. It's loneliness. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, how sad. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But Zuckerberg's like not a particularly warm or good person at the beginning of that story. right? Right. It's like the fall is not far. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like okay, you maybe had a little bit of humanity, and then you kind of don't have as much mm-hmm. at the end. Like, can I? Can we get into a little bit of spoiler territory? With sorry to bother you at this point. Sure. Let's go ahead and say spoilers are starting now. I mean, I think we probably spoiled a few little things already. Right. But no, but I mean, starting sorry for to real bo- now. Sorry to bother you. You literally, he literally loses his humanity. <laughs> right. Yep. Like. You are now a horse. Only dude. at the very end, though. But like that's part of. But that's sort of like to punctuate this, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like this isn't like oh, you learned a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. And you're and you're reduced mm-hmm. in some way. It's like no, bro, you are now <laughs> an animal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that is, I think, like unlike Zuckerberg clicking the refresh button on Facebook at the end. He's like, Oh, I wish I had more friends. Right. Like this is like, Oh, I literally became a beast. Right. Yeah. Um, this is the consequence of my choices. Right. Wasn't this, yeah, I'm trying, like I I said before we started recording that there's a lot of this. I'm very pro the social network, by the way. I like that movie quite a bit. (laughs) I'm not trying, I'm not trying to critique the social network. No, I didn't think it didn't seem to me like you were. I think they're just very different in that. Yeah, and this movie, he's a very likable, you know, at the start. You think yeah. you think he's yeah, he's a totally he's a good guy, you know? Um and so the so the gap is much greater between yeah. where he starts and where he ends. Whereas I think in the social network, I think you're right, it's smaller. Um right. and it's not really so much about it's it feels like it's less about Mark Zuckerberg's change as a person. Mm-hmm. It's more the just like insane uh, journey he goes on. Well, I feel like in some ways, like it's not much of a journey, right? Like, 
Like, yes, he a bunch of he, wealth passes through Mark Zuckerberg, and he's kind of the same lonely yeah, guy he, at the he, end. He doesn't change so much. His circumstances change quite a bit right. in social network. In this movie, he change his circumstances change and he along with them, I would say. Right. Um but yeah, but at the end of the movie, it, it, am I remembering correctly that he's basically I don't think he wittingly signed up for this, but he's like turning into a horse because Army Hammer wants him to be like the horse Jesus. Horse Jesus, yes. Or horse the Martin horse. Luther King or something yeah. to that effect. Yes. But but <laughs> like but a plant. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like I want that you to be the horse control. Martin Luther King, but I kind of but you're actually working for the man. And how much money does he offer him? Is it like a hundred million dollars? It's it's an yeah, it's an insane <laughs> amount of money, yeah. <laughs> That's a great like just little scene where he gives him the piece of paper or he's like, I want to, let me tell you how much I want to pay. <laughs> I feel like it's a hundred million dollars. Right. I just remember it. It's, it's sort of like, it's like a number that's so big yeah. that as he's writing it down, it's like comical. Cause you're yeah. expecting, he's going to be like, Oh, is he going to give him like $10 million or something? Right. <laughs> and it's just like, no, this is just more money than it would ever make sense to give one person well, I mean, for one task. Yeah, but it it just goes to show, like, from Army Hammer's point of view, like, he's the worry-free yeah. CEO, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, from his point of view, there's probably literally a billion dollars or $10 billion, right? Oh, for sure. Like, um, but, but yeah, but I mean, it's, I guess it's funny because, I, I mean, I really do think it's meant for comedic effect. Yeah. Because it's not... Like, if you're a person like that, the amount of money you offer someone is how much you think it will take. Yes. Right? But that yeah. amount of money yeah. is so outrageously high. I mean, that said, what he's asking him to do is turn into a horse. So right. Maybe, <laughs> and I think... Maybe there's not a lot of, like, data to support or, or to guide the amount of money you should offer someone right. to take a bargain like that. And I think... Um, in some ways, uh, the number being so high is a useful, like, because put it this way, if you'd put the number at like $10 million, mm-hmm. right, I yeah. think it would be more obvious that Lakeith Stanfield's character would be like, no, this is ridiculous, yeah. right? Yeah, even and, even audience members would probably say like, $10 million is a lot, but I wouldn't become a horse right. <laughs> for that amount of money. And like $100 million is both an insane amount of money and also like there's... Be, I think most people in the audience would probably feel the same way that Lucky Stanfield's character does, which is like, there is no amount of money you could pay me to become uh-huh. a horse, right? right? Like right. you could... That number could be $100 billion, <laughs> right? Like I still wouldn't do it, yeah. right? Um and I think that's kind of, the, but I think that's kind of the point is Army Hammer and Lucky Stanfield's character fundamentally look at the world in different ways. Yeah, yeah. And, and Army Hammer's like, I bet you I could buy you for a hundred million dollars. <laughs> right. Uh, think and, about it. I, I also love, I don't remember exactly how that scene plays out, but I do remember that the question of whether he's already given him the, yeah. like serum or whatever it yes. is comes up and he's like, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that. Right. But but maybe he also plants like a little seed of doubt. He's like, I don't think I did or something like that. Well, right? I, I think it's one of the, yeah, I just think the way he, he's like, I'm not a monster right. or something, right? And it's like, but by the end of the movie, it's like, oh, you clearly, yeah, he clearly he, he is clearly did. a monster, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Um, yeah, no, that's great. I mean, th- that that's right. The scene we're talking about is just right around where the movie 
uh, it's like a hockey stick graph to me where, where the movie is quite zany and quirky. Yeah. But then it takes this turn with the discovery of the horse people. Right. Let's actually back up before the discovery of the horse people, because I think you're entirely right that the movie is tracking very much in line with my expectations as Mm -hmm. far as like, what is this movie Mm -hmm. up to and including the sequence where Cassius, uh, they make him rap right Mm -hmm. in front Mm -hmm. of like this room full of yuppie, you know, millennial whites, possibly the most, uh, uncomfortable part of the movie. I I think that was the part where in the I top felt, three where I felt my like, I just I really felt my soul sort of being crushed in that sequence where, yeah. um, you know, Cassius is very clear. He's like, I don't rap. I can't rap just because yeah. I'm just because I'm black doesn't mean I know how to rap. Right. Right. And then, but then he gives the people what they want. He gives the people what they want, which is like the sort of the most caricature ish, like sad depiction of what mm-hmm. rap music is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in that sequence, the movie felt like it was reaching to what to me felt like the nadir. I was like, okay, you can't get lower than this. Like mm-hmm. this is him absolutely just selling out his entire culture, mm-hmm. right? Like who he is, what being black means, mm-hmm. right? To this audience of just like cartoonish ghouls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and as a consequence of his like sort of blatant selling out, right? He gets invited to the the office of the mm-hmm. man, right? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like that is sort of the the setup for the beginning of this hockey stick graph where it's like, all right, so he's gonna make the final deal with the devil now. Yeah. And um, you know, and this will just sort of be the sad end of this tale, <laughs> right? But no. But no, <laughs> the movie decides to it, it, it does almost feel like, yes, that's that's like the first that's like the first movie within a movie. Yep. And like, yeah, that's the ending of that movie is he makes the very depressing choice. Yep. But then the movie uh, morphs into another movie. Yep. Which it's kind of interesting to think I, I described it as a hockey stick and it is an abrupt and sort of exponential development yep. that almost like maybe kind of what the movie is, is saying is like in the real world, this is how this ends up, yeah. you know, what would it take? Like what kind of, how would a person be really, uh, how could you shake someone out of that? Right. Right. Like right. what it takes <laughs> Yes. For this person to really accept and be confronted with how far they've fallen. The horror of their choices, yeah. yeah. Uh, is something just next level. An abomination you know? of nature, yeah, right? Yeah, So, So he's kind of at that point where he's willing to shake hands with the devil, and then he has to take a leak, right. and then he goes to the bathroom, and what he sees... Yeah. it The, the theater I was in, people were screaming right. when when the horse comes out of the stall. Yeah. <laughs> I seem to remember like a, a woman just being like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> just like over and over again. Yeah. Um, Cause it's kind of terrifying. It is terrifying. It's very upsetting. It comes out. You don't know what you're seeing. Yeah. Right. It comes yeah. out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I, I, as far as I can gauge, I don't, I didn't notice any little hints that this was going to happen yeah. earlier in the film. Yeah. Right. Um, 
and he has snored what he believes to be cocaine mm-hmm. in the preceding sequence. So you think he might be, you know, high. Yeah. Right? Maybe. Yeah. Right. And so then he walks into the bathroom and sees this, sees this sort of horse human hybrid monstrous thing yep. that's screaming in agony and asking for help and asking for help. <laughs> and it's just sort of like, what is this? <laughs> what, right? what just happened? And, and yeah, and I feel like in the same way, the audience is shaken by that. Right. It's like, that's what turns things around for him. Right. It's kind of what, I mean, his characters by between that scene and the end of the movie, he tries to kind of go back to normalcy, right? He starts, it makes him recoil from, yes. from, from the point he's gotten to. Yes. Um, as well it should. And I just sort of on a tangent real quick, I really remember finding the next five minutes of the movie like completely hilarious mm-hmm. because, because he comes out, Army Hammer, what's Army Hammer's character's name in this? Uh, uh, do you have it there? His name is Steve Lift. Okay. Well, I wouldn't have remembered that in a million years. Yeah. But Steve, so Steve Lift, you know, finds him. He's like, oh, you you were supposed to go through the olive door. That was the mint green door right. or whatever, right? And he brings him back and he's like, look, I know what you saw. It was probably a little, you know, uh, alarming. Right. Let me just sit you down and show you this video. It right. will all make you sense. You were supposed to watch the video before. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's and you're so and I feel like as as a viewer at this point in the movie I'm like so intrigued I'm like what is he gonna show him that's gonna make this not seem crazy right and then he shows him this video mm-hmm. and it totally still seems crazy right and he's like see so now you understand because basically he's saying because all I want to do is create a breed of monstrous horse people that yeah. can do human physical labor like can right. do physical labor right better right. than humans that's it yeah um. And, and I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier in this conversation, which is that at this point, you it sort of was clear before. Yeah. But what I think that scene really makes clear is that, oh, this Steve Lift guy, he his religion is greed. Yeah. You know, he views it as a given that something that would make more money is, of course, logical and a reasonable thing to do and not right. crazy. Right. So. So his sort of argument is like, oh, I, I know it looks crazy that I'm turning people into horse people. Right. But once I explain to you that it's going to increase profits, right. you can see that it's not crazy. Right. Because look how much money this will put in your pocket. Yeah. Because, right. but, but to like any non-crazy person, right. they see that. They're like, yeah, no, I knew it was about making more money. Right. right? It's completely Well, insane. in some ways it's like it doesn't matter what it's for. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. This is you have clear any thinking person with a heart knows that you've gone too far. Right. But you just think there is no going too far. No, no, no. no, no. My reasons are good. Yeah, I have good logical reasons for doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just, and I loved. I mean, I just loved Army Hammer's like delivery of all that of all those lines of like see i just didn't want you to think i was crazy (laughs) yeah national treasure army (laughs) hammer um it was great his delivery is fantastic in this movie so uh so yeah i mean so we've i mean we've covered all the themes we're now getting into kind of like i think we're kind of getting into just highlights yeah just not sorry we're still we're still sort of in the i realized the rich man poor man section and sort of the last little sort of button i want to put on that is like 
I think the comparison to the social network, while a little bit insane, is also like kind of useful. And in fact, in some ways, what I would argue is a little bit of an inversion of the rich man, poor man thing. I feel like in some ways, the social network is this movie for rich people. Yeah. yeah. Right. And this movie is like the is this version of this movie for sort of like the a lower socioeconomic bracket. Right. And it's like all sound and and it's like all sound and fury. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's much less mannered. Right. Mm -hmm. It's much less polite about what it's trying to say. It doesn't cloak any of its meaning. Right. It makes it says the quiet part loud. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think is one of all of these reasons are like why I think it is so alive. Right. Is that it's not trying to be uh, smart. Right. Like it's not trying to be um, ironic or removed. It, it, it is smart, but it's it not is, concerned with being smart. Right. Yes. It's saying. not. Yeah. It, its purpose isn't to seem smart. Mm-hmm. It just is smart. Mm-hmm. Right. And but it has the urgency and vibrancy of, you know, like a kick to the head. Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed to like a reasoned argument about a kick to the head. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so at any rate. So, yeah, that was the we. Yeah, you're right. We did just sort of dive into the highlight section. But I do feel like the the rich man, poor man, like. Frame is actually an interesting one for this movie in particular. I think I I couldn't tell you in which conversation, but I think we've kind of repurposed Rich Man, Poor Man in that way before. Okay. Where it's like, this is the poor man's version, but not in the sense that it's worse. It's, it's, it's like, this is the lower budget. Yeah. I guess, I guess we did it with upgrade. Yeah. It's like the poor man's in the sense it's lower budget. But in this movie, it's like, it's the poor man's in the sense that it's not as, it's not as uh, like buttoned up. It's not as refined. Yeah, you know, it's not. It's it's sort of. It's not meant for that kind of audience as much. I mean, I I wouldn't say it's not for the audience that would enjoy the social network, but yeah, it's just. Um, I don't know. I can't think of a better way of putting it than buttoned up. Yeah. Or, or you pretty much said it all better than I am right now. Um. So yeah, I think that's a good comparison point to end that segment on mm-hmm. this one versus social network. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, for one thing, the, the main character in Social Network starts out as a Harvard student. Right, right? and like his, <laughs> so, like, the idea of like that being like a meteoric rise right, for right, him, right. it's like he's already a he student He starts from Harvard. a pretty privileged spot, right. yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, let's just, I mean, guess keep rolling with the uh, best parts of the movie, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we just covered off on, like, I think one of... One it, of the biggest ones. It's like utterly memorable right but I, th- I feel like similar with themes th- there's just so many good parts of the movie yeah it would be hard sure. to list them all right um i do want to uh, i do want to go back to something that uh we talked about briefly the question of authenticity um i think his relationship with his girlfriend played by tessa thompson mm-hmm. is is really interesting in this yeah. movie i mean in some ways it's pretty typical like we've seen it before like the 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 sort of like zoomed out oversimplified trajectory of it is they have this really, you know, sweet relationship in the beginning. Yeah. She's kind of like with him through thick and thin, you know, he's got a car that they have to like pull a string to get the windshield wipers to work. (laughs) Um, and she's like cool with that and she likes him for who he is, but she sort of also supports him wanting to, you know, move up a little bit right in his career. Meanwhile, she's, you know, she's an artist and a sign. They're, they're sort of they're right. sort of both in a similar spot in that they both have some crap jobs. Right. But they sort of 
they have dreams of doing more, right? Right. Yeah. She's an um, art, yeah, and she's an artist, and I think yeah. he's sort of not sure. Yeah, he's right. he's more like a sort of a lost soul right. kind of. He just wants to be a working man. He's just not sure where and how. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but then he becomes really successful, and then there's at some point in the movie where she's sort of like, "I liked you better." Back when you were, you know, back mm-hmm. when you weren't successful because you've kind of, you've changed. You've changed, you know? yeah. Um, and so that's like fairly familiar territory, I would say, as far as relationships in movies go. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's really interesting. This movie has a scene where she, where she does code switching. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a reveal. Yeah. Like in the movie, you think that she's super authentic and true to herself. And yep. he's the one who's kind of like selling his soul to the devil a little yep. bit. But then there's this scene where he goes to this, uh, like this, uh, art this show. exhibition, yeah, yeah, this art show that she's hosting, and you and you realize, oh, she's like speaking in a British accent to all right. of these, um, you know, art admirers, and uh, and she does this weird performance art thing yep. involving people throwing balloons full of balloons pig's blood. full of pig's blood, or she, well, I thought it was sheep's blood, whatever, oh, some sure, kind whatever, of animal's yeah. blood, and. And like bullet shells, I yeah. think. Like there's like various just sort of like trash items. Right. That they're throwing at her. Yeah. And she's standing there like half naked giving this speech in this British accent. Right. And you're like, I mean, I personally yeah. was kind of confused. Like I was like, I don't even understand fully what's going on right now. Yeah. But what does seem clear is she's like prostrating herself mm-hmm. and kind of. I don't know. I don't know if if she's humiliating herself or it, it sort of feels like she's making a statement, yeah. but also, but it really felt like she was at least compromising herself in some way. Right. It, it, I think there was a lot to it. I didn't really. Yeah. There's an element. Uh. There. There's two <clears throat> major elements. There's sort of an inauthenticity mm-hmm. of the whole thing because of the accent, mm-hmm. and there's a um, humiliation aspect to it yeah right but there's also like a big daring aspect to it for me anyway there was sure yes so it was like bravery but also and this is sort of the eye i have the beholder type thing like yeah because cassius's character agrees with the our initial reading right he's like this is inauthentic and humiliating and why are you doing this yeah right yeah and so cassius agrees with that reading right and now and i think from detroit's point of view right she's like no, this is my art. Yeah. Right. Um, but there, I, I agree. I think he sees in her mm-hmm. the same thing that she sees in him. Right. Which is like, this isn't you. It's yeah. It's sort of troubling. Right. It sort of reminds. I feel like my reaction to it would be like, if you have um, a friend, say, who your friend is kind of, your friends maybe got a new boyfriend or girlfriend mm-hmm. or, or they're hanging out with a new group of yeah. friends and you see them starting to kind of change and you're like i feel like you're different you're changing yourself for them and they're like no way like this is totally i've always liked yeah or like or reggae. like the, they're <laughs> like, they're they're just like helping me learn who i truly am right and you're sort of like squinting and you're like okay right but it just it doesn't seem like that's totally but true. You, it, right. it feels like you're changing yourself and being a little artificial. Right. But you hate kale. Yeah, right? like, yeah, exactly. That that's kind of the vibe that right. I got from the scene. Um, I don't, I don't feel totally confident that I read that scene correctly or in line with what 
Boots Riley intended from it. Right. But I definitely found it very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that I most strongly agree with what you said that it's that it's sort of giving him it's giving him like an aha right moment of of seeing that she like you said that that the way she the way she has seen change in him he is seeing that in her yeah and and to me part of part of what the movie is saying there is that sort of you know nobody is above this nobody is Im- immune right. to this temptation it just depends on we all have different temptations yeah exactly right? it might it, like i was saying earlier for not it's not money for everybody Right. But in her case, it seems to be more about artistic, um, like acceptance yeah, recognition. or validation. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I thought that scene was really interesting. Any yep. other highlights that come to mind for yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The entire party sequence with the rap all the way through the horse stuff is all just crazy. like just, totally, totally great. Yeah. Um, the first sequence where he puts on his white voice, mm-hmm. right. And the desk, sort of falls into a yeah. person's home. Yeah. Right. Just very inventive filmmaking. That right. That's sort of uh that mechanic kind of goes away uh yeah. after a little bit. Well, I mean, even when he's like a power caller, mm-hmm. right? And he's like sitting like on He's a, like high fiving people and Yeah, and <laughs> like and he basically in one call, he's like sitting like knee to knee. Mm-hmm. With the person he's on the phone with, and like while they're on while the, they're on the, the toilet, toilet yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know that I I think the mechanic is used just effect like just enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. and may yeah, there might be some inconsistency where later we don't get to see it, but uh, I do feel like that that sort of notion I think helps um sort of dovetail with the title of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like his. I mean, obviously the. The movie title is actually something we should probably talk about a bit. Yeah, right? sure. Um, because uh, on its face, it seems like it's a reference to the basic um, sort of pattern of a telemarketer, mm-hmm. right? Which is that fundamentally that job is about bothering people. Yeah, and it's sort of how you open the call, right? right. Um, so it so the title feels like it's about telemarketing, right? right. Um, and so I think that that visual motif is sort of the representation of what he's doing. He's dropping into these people's lives, mm-hmm. right? And trying to basically very quickly act like he is their friend in the room with them, selling them whatever it is. He's whatever selling. it is they're selling. I don't, I don't even remember. Does the movie even ever say what he's selling in the beginning? In the beginning, I feel like it's it like some, vacation packages or something. Oh, I thought it was like pills. Oh, pills. Right? I, yeah. Um, but by, but by the end, they're or, selling like you know private armies and stuff yeah. like that, right? Like of slaves. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, worry-free labor. It's like, like it's it's crazy that at some point, it's pretty much stated. Like somebody says to him, like, "Oh yeah, like we're like selling slaves or whatever." You know, it's right. like they they just pretty much say it, and he's like, "All right." right. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "I guess that's what I'm doing now." You know, like yeah. He might, um, he might like be conflicted about it for like a second right. and then he's, and then he's just moving on. And so, but I also think the title is of course like, I mean, and meta. I think, uh, yeah, it's very meta. The movie is trying to shake you out of some sort of complacency right. potentially. Right. At, at a, at a minimum it's shaking Cassius out of his complacency, right. By making him face some horrific stuff. 
mm-hmm. right? And t- that crosses some line for him, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and I think in some ways, you know, Cassius is being okay with things like selling slave labor. The movie is a little bit an indictment of the viewer, right? Because it's like, y'all are kind of okay with this, mm. right? Um, you know, worry-free feels like some sort of amalgamation of a bunch of different companies, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's like some combination of Walmart plus Halliburton plus, you know what I mean? Like it feels like it's a bunch of different sort of international yeah. conglomerates sort of like bound together into one super company that only cares about globalization and profit. Yeah, and I think the I think the promise of... Um you just said it, but what was the name of the company? Walmart or wor- Worry Free? No, worry Free, yeah, 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 yeah. Worry Free. Um, the 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 promise of Worry Free is, you know, you work for this company and everything you need is provided for Three you. hots and a cot. Right, right, right. right. Um, and, I mean, to me, it's a, it's, I don't know that I would call it an indictment. I mean, I, I feel like it's maybe more of like a warning. Maybe. Um but in any case, yeah, it's uh, the sorry to bother you is I agree with you totally. It's it's kind of like wake up people, you know, right. um, th- there's there's a huge value in our current society placed on convenience and yeah. comfort, which which we mentioned back in the theme segment. And I think there's a lot of companies, uh, whether whether as employers or just as companies that offer you goods and services um, that just people are willing to give up more and more in the name of convenience and Mm -hmm. comfort. Um, Whether it's, you know, whether it's working at like say a tech company that gives you free food Mm -hmm. and just sort of expects you to spend every waking moment working for them. Or it's like, uh, you know, being able to be at home and order something from your Google home or your Alexa or whatever. um, And just sort of being willing to trade, you know, to sort of saying like, I assume this thing is recording everything I say and that's just fine, you know? Uh, Or like how, what was it? I mean, how long ago was it now that Snowden like cracked the sort of NSA NSA. open and it caused an uproar for a little bit and now how many people even care? (laughs) Right. Right. Like so many people sort of, it's almost like a joke, at least in my circles, that people are like, I assume the government's spying on, you know, Right. Not so much spying on me as like collecting tons of information about me. Right. I f- assume all of these major private tech companies are doing the same thing. Right. They're probably all trading all this information about me. Advertising networks are doing it. Right. You know, and we're just desensitized to it. Yeah. And, well, and, and we like the benefits of, of these things like Google, how good Google is at answering my questions mm-hmm. should potentially be very upsetting to me. But right. instead, I just tend to enjoy, you know, I'm right. like, I'm like, it's so great that it just gives me the answer I want. And the reason it's able to do that is that they have years of search history all associated with me. Right. You know, they know a lot about me and my preferences and what makes me tick. And that right. should be upsetting to me. Right. But it's not really. And I think, and I think that's worry free represents kind of where that complacency leads, right? Yeah. To eventually you're like, yes, I'm basically a slave with no freedom or autonomy. Right. But it's cool because I get, you know, free food and a place to sleep and I don't have to worry. Right. 
Um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, to me, it's sort of, you know, it's not maybe not an explicit message of the movie, but a, a strong implication is that if you want freedom, mm-hmm. um, having to worry mm-hmm. is a part of that, right? It's, right. it's sort of like two Be- sides of the same coin. Yeah. Being bothered. Yeah. Right. Is, yeah, totally. Is part of free will. <clears throat> right. Is exactly. part is part of the being able to actually make choices in your own life. Yeah. Being being free is important, but being free means it's not always going to be easy. Yeah. And if you want it to always be easy, then the well, cost of that may be that you have to give up your freedom. Right. right. Um any other highlights in the movie? Um like I said, there's so many. I mean Yeah. I, I'm you know, obviously the 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 first time he uses his white voice is very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like in the back, like basically everything after the horse stuff. Um, the sequ- what's the sequence? What's the name of the TV show where you have to basically like oh, absolutely humiliate that. yourself? It's yeah, like, I totally I, forget what the name of it is. But. It's, it's something like you know, like beat the shit out of me or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like in the beginning of the movie that is sort of a, a funny slash sad thing similar to, um, Ow My Balls, Ow My Balls from <laughs> Idiocracy, yeah. right? Um, very similar, right? Yeah, to that yeah, joke, yeah. except, you know, I think the thing that really resonated with me with that show is like on Idiocracy, that's just a show that other people are on, mm-hmm. Right at the end of sorry to bother you like he, he has to go on this show yep. to get the message out and sort of similar to the thing you called out regarding snowden it's like he's people like care. i have to get this message out because then people will revolt in the streets yep and what happens is nothing yep right and i think that is exactly the more realistic thing i think you know what i mean i feel like it's true it's so sad um People are just sort of going to shrug and move on, right? Because they don't want to be bothered. Like, they fundamentally yep. don't want to care mm-hmm. about other stuff. They want to care about themselves, right? And I understand that, but I think this movie is basically trying to shake everybody and be like, stop doing that. It is. It really is an interesting, just, it's like a, a mental exercise for me is, what would the reaction be if we found out that some company... We're turning people into horses. Right. Well, I mean, like I have to, of course there would be initial complete shock and disgust and outrage. Right. I just wonder how long would it last? How? Well, in the movie, doesn't Steve lift get praised by senators and congressmen? Maybe. I don't like know. they stand up with him and they're like, great job, Steve lift for coming up with this mm-hmm. innovative you know, like for being an entrepreneur and being an innovator, right? right. And I was like, that feels about right to me, <laughs> right? Like not only would people not revolt in the streets, but instead like the people that we turn to for like sort of political and moral leadership, which we should not do, but we do, mm-hmm. um, would basically turn around and legitimize the entire endeavor, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because there's money at the end of that, right? Because they can be bought. I mean, it's it's such an insane thing to think about that I 
I don't feel like I could confidently predict what would really happen. Right. But what you're saying, um, I could see happening. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting that in the movie, that's the thing that, as we talked about, that's the thing that actually opens the main character's eyes. Yeah. Um, what's his name? What's his, what's his first name? Cassius. Cassius, yeah. It opens Cassius's eyes. So it is enough for him, but it's not enough for, like, the general public. Right. So... I don't know that that's a very important point to, to to call out, but it's just noticeable. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, like there is no movie if the like, there's no like last act to this movie if the public is like we are outraged and we're going to put an end to this and we're going to boycott worry free and you know like we're going to do the right moral thing here. That would right? not that that would not like make sense for this movie right. <laughs> for it to end that way. Yeah. And so, I mean, so maybe to your point in like the real world, this world that we live in, right? Like if something like this actually ever came out about like a major multinational corporation, like mm-hmm. one would presumably hope that the public would rebel, right? Well, yeah, I I mean, possibly, but I think I think it is fair and the movie might be making this point. I'm, I hadn't really reflected too much on it. Um, that what it takes to convince an individual is often not enough to change an entire system, right? Sure, inertia so, is a powerful force. Yeah, yeah, so I think the message of the movie, it, it could be explicitly saying, um, or implicitly saying, rather, but it could be definitely making a point to say that, that yes, like, Cassius has fallen so far, but this kind of thing is enough to snap him out of it. Right. But like even this is not enough to snap out the sort of wider mm-hmm. society around him out of their kind of stupor, you know, yeah. um, which is pro- there, whether or not the details of this movie would play out the way that they do in the movie. I do agree with that premise that, yeah. you know, a person could sort of become, uh, let's say, you know, aware right of because i mean we sort of it's easy to forget because we are watching a movie which is a depiction of a thing mm-hmm. right but in the world of the film cassius has seen this firsthand right and right. nobody else has yeah and so for him it's visceral and real right for everybody else it's like a picture on a screen mm-hmm. um and they're sort of like eh, i don't i don't care that much about this picture on the yeah. screen I don't even know if that's real. Right, right yeah, yeah. <clears throat> We're hurting. Right. right, that's what he says. We're hurting, yeah. We're hurting. Uh, very troubling. Yeah, very troubling. Um, okay, well, anyway, we've talked about a whole bunch of highlights of the movie. Yep. I think our last segment is fix the movie. No. Anything you would do to fix this movie? It's a meaningless concept with this movie. It's like, it's like I we talked about the movie being messy and chaotic, but really I don't... This movie has so much just imagination and yeah, and I do think talent um, in it that it's sort of yeah it's I, I there's nothing that really stands out to me as like a flaw that would need to be. Addressed. I mean, even the flaw. I mean, like even if I could go through and find something, isn't that sort of part of it, right? Like. It's not like, um, you know, painting a wall with, you know, one paint color and you can point to like you missed a spot. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like that. It's 
more like uh, a chaotic piece of postmodern art that's like mixed media and all sorts of stuff is happening. And it's like, what would you point to and say yeah. is wrong with this? Yeah. Right? Like, nothing. It's, it's very striking as it should be. And nothing really needs to be changed. That said, I definitely don't think this is a flaw, nor would it fix the movie. But just something that I remember thinking after the movie Mm -hmm. was, uh, this is a two-parter. One, I would have just liked to have seen more Danny Glover. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Because I like him. And I like his character in this movie. But also, two, why wasn't Danny Glover more successful in this movie? Because he's the one who shares this secret with him. Well, he just doesn't have that propels him to like a massively successful career. Just doesn't have the preternatural like yeah, banter. I guess it's just that uh that Cassius is Cassius can use that trick and and yeah. leverage it to reach much greater heights. Yeah. But it just it was interesting to me that like towards the beginning of the movie they have this premise that Danny Glover's like here I'll t- tell you a little secret that'll help you have a lot more success. Right. And it does and it ha- helps him have so much success right. that he, you know, goes on the path that this movie takes him on. And I was just like, seemed like Danny Glover's white voice was pretty good. I feel like that's typically the way it goes with innovation, though, right? Like, so the person who comes up with the original innovation doesn't even necessarily understand what they have, yeah, right? Or doesn't know how to exploit it properly. I mean, that's, right? uh, Prestige has a little bit of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Every movie is just a something I compare to the Prestige. Um, um yeah. So yeah. But anyway. So I yeah. I liked, I liked that character and would have liked to see more of him. But that's certainly not a flaw, and it's not really. I don't even know how, what that would look like. So, maybe I would regret doing that if if I even got what I wanted there. Right. Um. So we both basically agree. There's nothing you could do to fix this movie because it's in Why? no need of fixing. Why? Yeah. Why would you meddle with the Jackson Pollock? Right. Like, it's fine. All right. Well. I think it's uh, pretty clear that we would beam this up. Yeah, beam this sucker up. All right. Beaming up, sorry to bother you. And with that, I guess uh, we're done. All right, so I'm Adam. I'm Dan. Thank you for listening to Space Flicks, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.